Hello, everyone, and welcome to Nine Inch Charge. Uh, welcome to the to the Old World Show. We've got Jeremy back again. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks. Nice to be back on the show. Feels like we were recording only five minutes ago. <laughs> Could say that. Um, Jeremy is back on again today to talk about his beloved Dark Elf army, and we're going to talk about the top units that we would like to see return in the Old World game, and also a little bit of wish listing at the end, something a bit out of left field that we would like to see. Um, but just before we get into that, uh, Jeremy, would you like to just talk us through why it is you love Dark Elves so much? Oh, well, I can literally actually remember the love at, love at first sight moment, actually, for me. I was in the Games Workshop Plymouth about 2001, and I was talking about one of those glass display cabinets where the tables, uh, the cabinets sort of revolve around slowly. Um, I was kind of looking for an army to start collecting because I've just got into the hobby. I'd been at my cousin's, he'd been painting the Bretonians. I thought, right, I'm going to go and get some miniatures. I was looking around thinking maybe, maybe the undead, maybe skeletons initially. Um, and then this Dark Elf army literally revolved into my eye line and it was the old the old fifth edition dark owls if you you know the uh the, the the pointy pointy caps on all their helmets um and it was this incredible goth army of all purples and blacks on snowy covered bases with like really gray skin um whoever painted it was an absolute um master um and as the army sort of went past me, I saw like really cool spearmen and crossbowmen, and I thought, oh, and then there was some like dark rider style models. And then I thought, well, that's cool. I wonder if they've got something harder, like some heavier knights. And then knights on freaking dinosaurs went past my <laughs> eye line. Um, the assassins went past. And by the time this army had literally moved past my eyes, I was like, I'm getting them. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a moment that sort of like stayed imprinted on my brain. I think. I knew that I always wanted to do an evil army because I always think evil is more fun and more cool. But I kind of wanted an army that was quite disciplined and quite calculating. So when I looked at things like orcs and goblins, I knew I didn't want like an unruly um, football hooligan mob on the battlefield. I wanted something which you know, which was like going to be quite you know quite um, sneaky and stealthy. I guess maybe it also kind of goes back to that thing like. Um, we grew up watching Star Trek, and my favorite uh, faction in Star Trek was always the Romulans. And basically, they are evil space elves who are sneaky, sneaky. So I think there's a lot of that there as well. But yeah, um, you've got an army which is evil goths that have pirates, knights riding dinosaurs, ninja assassins, and bikini-clad elven ladies. I mean, it's got everything that a teenage boy could possibly want. So it's not really a surprise, <laughs> is it, really? And I can remember that you played your army in a particularly Dark Elf style. I can remember there was a game that you played that was 2v2, and I think you were playing alongside Dan Cottle. Mm. And there was a turning point in the game where if you didn't come to the aid of one of his units, you were going to lose the game, but you were probably going to lose that unit. And in two dra true Dark Elf style, you'd rather just let, you know, just sacrifice them. I'm not having my unit die. We'll lose the scenario, <laughs> but you're you're you know you're exposable or dispense dispensable, um, or I should say exposable. <laughs> Talking about witch elves, there, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you did play it in that in that true kind of dark elf style, and I always appreciated how much you enjoyed the lore and all the different things that the individual units brought. And your painting was always leaps and bounds ahead of mine, um, and they your army looked incredible. Oh, thank you. It's um, 
I think I think I've seen some of your more recent models. I mean, um, I think you've definitely surpassed me. Um, but yeah, your 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 um, army to Sigma is uh is, is pretty damn good. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jeremy. But I suppose I've been. I've just been in the game longer, I suppose, is what it is. Yeah, I, haven't, I haven't had a break. And also, because I think it's also because I work nights doing shift work. When you're, if you're like, if you happen to be awake in the middle of the night, what else are you going to do? There's like, I've seen everything on Netflix a hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> the pubs are shut. <laughs> so I just, just sit and paint, paint my models. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So shall we go through? So we've each picked a a hero and two units to talk about today. So um, why don't you kick us off, Jeremy, with with the hero that you've chosen to talk about who you'd like to see return? Yeah. So if you're going to talk about Dark Elves, there is only one real character that you absolutely have to talk about because he is, and there's a clue who it could be, um, he is pretty much the figurehead and the, almost a living embodiment of the entire Dark Elf society. He's just a boy that loves his mummy a little bit too much. Of course, we're <laughs> talking about the Witch King, Malkith. Um, yeah, I um, I think um, Malkith is just uh, a really amazing, cool character. Um, the artwork, and I meant to look up the um, the um, artist who designed, he did all the original 6th edition Dark Elf sketches, just designed this incredible suited figure with these massively impractical antler-style helmets, which I always thought must mean that the Dark Elf castle must have really, really wide doors, like, 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 uh, to accommodate him. Kind of the same way that Daleks always have. Yeah, sideways. I think Malkith might be like Daleks in the extent that he can only go through doors which are a certain size built specially for him. Um, but yeah, um, I had the idea of just, just this guy who's like literally had armor fused onto his body. Um, it's like charred and blackened underneath it. It was very cool, um, very Darth Vader-esque. Um, and yeah, an evil male sorcerer slash fighter. He was just awesome. It was always just a shame that Games Workshop never quite delivered a model that quite captured the um, the mental imagery that sort of the prose and the fluff sort of conjured up. And um, I think it's fair to say that the sixth edition model was a little bit clunky, uh, but I'm sure they could do some amazing stuff uh, with some of the some of the newer sculpting techniques they got now. Yeah, I was going to say not yet. Yeah, exactly. Not yet. Because even if they don't make him in the old world, they think they are going to bring him back in Age of Sigmar. Um, I don't know quite what they're going to do with his relationship with Marathi in Age of Sigmar. I think they might just try and sort of paper over it a bit. I don't know if it's something that they will explore in the old world. I suppose it is still it is still there. It is still canon. We are using the existing canon, so it's something that they they probably will have to to face up to that you know they wrote it in they wrote it in the rules. So. Or in the law. I mean, even um, I don't know whether a games watch just tries to try to be more family friendly these days. But um, even 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 back in the day, they never explicitly said it; just heavily implied that they had an unhealthily close relationship with each other. So I'm sure to be it'll be left to infer. Um, the camera will pan upwards as a uh, in the style of sort of traditional <laughs> Hollywood movies. <laughs> I always liked Malkith. I always thought that he was a great character, like you said, you know, so a bit of background for people who might not necessarily know. So Malakith is the son of the first Phoenix King of the High Elves, Anarian, uh, who was the greatest elven hero who ever lived. Um, and 
he he wasn't to be Phoenix King. He went into the flames, but he was rejected, and he became all scarred and burned. Like you said, a bit kind of like that. Looked ended up looking a bit like Darth Vader after he was electrocuted. Um, and his his mother, who is very close to, as we said, sort of brought him back to life um, and, and nurtured him, rescued him, and then his his armor became fused to his body, and um, and he was the became the king of the Dark Elves. And there's also an interesting thing, really, about his journey from, you know, from being a high elf hero, you know, someone who, you know, stood at the front of the high elf forces and, you know, held back the tide of chaos to someone who there's an interesting period in Malchus' life, which I don't, maybe has been explored in some of the books, where he goes traveling after he's rejected and, and sort of explores the world or like finds, I think it's a circlet of iron, like in some ruined chaos waste. And so there's an interesting idea here of what he found and what it was that corrupted him beyond Marathi whispering jealousy and poison into his ear. Um, but yeah, you, you are talking about a character who initially was, you know, one of the greatest high off heroes there ever was, who, who then takes a very dark turn and dark path mm -hmm. i don't know if we're gonna are we talking end times lore as well well i will let you lead on end times lore as um i'd um checked out long before that and then heard various rumors and just snorted in derision um so you, you carry on so in the end times it turned out that the that there were no true phoenix kings anymore that what would happen is the high elves as part of their initiation to become Phoenix King, would have to be bathed in the flames of the Phoenix. But what they were actually doing was they were using magics and incantations to protect themselves from the flames and not truly going in there. Um, and in the end, Malkith was able to go into the flames and become the Phoenix King that he was always destined to be. Um, and at that point, um, oh yeah, after he went after he went into there, the island of Ulfan just crumbled into the sea anyway. So there was nothing. <laughs> left and all of the elves um went to athel Lauren and the high elves and the dark elves and the wood elves were all led by by malkith as one as one race back as they as they kind of started out being um and then the world ended so what you're basically saying is that the dark elves won yeah pretty much and right. also um he, he married uh alariel as well that's interesting that's just how they managed to sort of bridge the gap between getting see, high elves and dark elves together and yeah. things like that which i think was it Tyrion who who had the sort of the affair with Elariel? that that rings true yeah yeah so. so he sort of you know done one over on him as well he basically yeah he just won basically in the end times just just in time for the world to be destroyed <laughs> savor those sweet sweet seconds of victory <laughs> So what is it about him that you would like to see back on the tabletop? So obviously a brand new model. And looking at the new dragons that are coming out for the Stormcast, it'd be great to see him riding. You know, you can see kind of what they can do and the motion and the presence they can have in those in those models now. It'd be great to see him riding one of those. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, yeah, the latest dragon that GW has produced is, 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 is fantastic. It's nice to see dragons which aren't quite so like a bent pipe. They always felt like a sort of like S shape, weren't they? With just some wings stuck on there. So, so we're now getting dragons with some bulk and some like muscle to them, which is really nice. And I'm nice. enjoying seeing different wings because it always mm. used to be you'd buy, you get a dragon, no matter what you bought, you've got the same wings and they just absolutely on the back of, of the yeah. model, yeah. Generic dragon wings 2.0, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, so I think I kind of like to see, yeah, yeah, sort of a um, a bit of a sort of meteor dragon than what we had previously. And I kind of like to see him with like a more elaborate, less clunky looking um, helmet casting a spell. In my head, he's like got lightning or something crackling from like his gauntlet of power or whatever it was actually called, like mid spell casting. Because I think that's the nice thing about Malkith is that he's a fighter, but he's also one of the most powerful uh, magic users um, in the game, at least in the fluff, if never necessarily reflected in. Reflected and in the really itself. powerful anti-magic user, because he had mm. magic resistance to... Did he have magic resistance to, or did he have a ward save against against magic? But he had one of the two, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And his sword was able to destroy magic items. Yeah, there was a really cool... That was, that was an interesting part of um, like the, the backstory of, of Malkith, is that he was almost invulnerable but was like destined to be destroyed by another male magic user and that's the reason that in the dark elf lore there were only ever female wizards because Malkith had banished all the male sorcerers out of fear that they would rise up and become a threat to him one day so that's why he always had that vulnerability to magic because it was the one thing that should be able to undo him yeah and there was no point attacking if he didn't have a magic weapon yeah but also he was incredibly vulnerable you know if you had like a magic missile or like um like a skaven i don't know warp lightning cannon and um he was uh you could potentially pick him off quite quite quickly but yeah yeah his save went wild didn't it so he had a two plus ward save against magic uh, sorry against non-magical weapons but his usual save against magic was five plus which for someone on a dragon clad in art whose armor is fused to them you think they'd have a bit more than that really you get to five plus just being on a being on a barded horse <laughs> that's where it's getting wrong it's just his ego went to him that's the problem um maybe yeah. it's because his dragon was made of lego jeremy now i'll have you know that the time that i use so say so, so for listeners um because we were always keen to play games didn't necessarily have the models either assembled <laughs> or even owned them so there was one time i think i played a game where i wanted to use a sorceress on a on a on a black uh, pegasus and Lego does a fairly good uh, small black dragon that's approximately the right size of it. So I just brought that in one day and shoved it on around a square base and then went, there you go. And um, <laughs> decades later, I'm still living through the uh, the ridicule, <laughs> <laughs> which I wholeheartedly deserve. Um, and actually, that brings us on to my choice, talking about a dark pegasus. So my choice uh, for character was Marathi who is the Hag Sorceress of Grond and first of the Hag Queens, mother of Malekith and one-time co-sort of Anarian. Um, she's the only uh, witch elf who's a magic user, I think. All the rest of them were sort of priests, which I guess were bound spells, but she in her own right was a sorceress. Absolutely. And the reason why I chose her is because, I don't know if you know, Jeremy, but in Age of Sigmar, there's a faction called Daughters of Cain and Marathi mm, yeah leads that faction and she's just gone like on another level now she's just absolutely bloody bonkers um but she's still she still is deceptive and poisonous and she's deceptive even to her own followers so they all believe that what they're doing is is basically cain the god was shattered and destroyed and they're trying to find all the bits of him so she has cain's heart and she's, they're trying to find all these things and she's telling the witch elves um, that they're trying to rebuild their god. But actually, what she's doing is she's just using it all to further her own agenda and make herself more powerful. So she's the same as she ever was, I suppose. But yeah, I'd just it's... like to see her from the beginning 
coming through to how she en ends up now, I suppose. Yeah, it's really nice to see that sort of like the same character and characteristics played off in her um, to this day. Um, and yeah, because um, she was always labelled herself as the queen of the witch elves um, back in uh, the old game. Not that she particularly cared about them. She just wanted to just realise that they were a powerful faction. And she wanted to control them. So so she's always been this like political scheme who's been trying to outmanoeuvre people and just make come up with these ludicrous claims to try and bolster her position. Um, it was always her and Hellebron, wasn't it? With like the two who hated each other and just have this like <laughs> rivalry. Um, and then, but uh, Marathi always had the upper hand because she she had come up with the cauldron of blood, and therefore she had the secret of eternal youth, which meant that everyone, all the witch elves, were always indebted to her, and they couldn't do without her. And that had a rule that played out in the game as well, didn't it? Yeah, um, so de obviously depending on which edition um, you were playing, but generally speaking, it gave witch elves like an ability to like reroll their attempts to wound, which when you're only toughened three, is quite a good thing to have. But didn't she, wasn't she able to beguile her opponents or something? Was that was that a rule that we read earlier? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Marathi always had the ability to like um, reduce the weapon skill of um, anything, anything that was fighting against her. a bit like the Lamian vampires, if you remember that their rules as well, um, because she was always this incredible enchanting beauty. Um, so yeah, I don't think um, I think Marathi's beauty was like she kept it, whereas the witch elves would sort of decay over the space of the year and then they would regain it through a frenzy of blood and bathing in said blood and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> So yeah, I just I think I want her more for the narrative than anything else. But you know, as as we said, I think the old model for the Dark Pegasus, to be honest, Jeremy, isn't far off the Lego one. If you look at the sort of the how I think horses just took a long time for Games Workshop to get right. Absolutely, the legs yeah. were always a bit too fat and things like that, and they. And it was a nightmare because obviously we're talking about the days of metal, so the wings would always fall off. And I tried to pin those wings on about four or five times. It was a, it was an absolute nightmare. Um, and even the, actually, again, the mo the model for Marathi, although I think a bit better than the one for Malkith, it is it, it's it suffers definitely from from the um the the chunkiness that metal casting inevitably has and again you know with some nice plastic sculpts now you could get you know something which is far more intricate and sort of reflects a sort of more elaborate artistic side that else should have um i was just thinking of her play style i think she sounds a bit like she could be a bit of a tar pit really because she had a ward save um and she would have had a good save by being mounted anyway and then anything that fights her is a minus to its to its weapon skills so she's difficult to hit and then all the meanwhile she's no slouch in combat and she's casting all these spells around the place i quite like to see that yeah it's, it's weird actually to have uh, there aren't that many all-rounder wizards that are good at, you know as both magic users um and, and fighters as you say and um i guess that's where you know having a nipple out probably helps with the combat as well if you're going to distract the opponent and give them minus five to their weapon skill <laughs> um but yeah um, i think the other thing that um is probably well, it'd been really nice to see her back in the game as well. Is that in a way, if you want to go back to the like the Darth Vader like analogy we talked about with Malkith, in a way, Marath, it's all Marathi's fault. Marathi mm. is, is 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 very much the puppet, uh, the puppet master pulling the strings. Um, although Malkith has kind of like bent the Dark Owls to his um, image and his obsession with revenge and hatred, Marathi is the one that's kind of set him up 
engineered a large part of his fall and is the one constantly encouraging him and trying to manipulate him. So she is like, you know, the emperor from Star Wars to his Darth Vader. Yeah, she's definitely a master manipulator. I can remember from reading my Wood Elf books, there was a time where Orion and Ariel went after her and they kind of got her held up in a tower. And basically Ariel was one step away from just getting Orion to like shove his spear through her and kill her. And then she said, but what if I tell you all my dark secrets? And then she corrupted Ariel to the point where she had to lock herself away for like generation after generation and not be seen by anyone. And even when she emerged, she was still tainted by all the darkness that Marathi had like poisoned her with. That's really cool. Um, I think the other thing like, if I want to talk about rules that I'd like to see for her is that, um, she, you know, she is the sorceress who, you know, helped, you know, sunder Ufran. You know, she is this, she is meant to be this incredible spellcaster, one of the first elven users. But actually, in game terms, Techless was always better than her. Lord Croak was always better than her. So it'd be nice to have put her perhaps on maybe not better than them, but certainly not on a, on a more even uh, playing field than, than, than them in the future. Yeah. All right, Jeremy, moving on. What's your next mm. pick? Well, I was trying to think of a sort of blend with what I thought really embodied Dark Elves in terms of like fluff, what was really cool models, and also had a rule set that really reflected or the, I guess game mechanics which reflect the background. I'd say because of that, I kind of went with uh, the good old witch elves. Um, because not only are they sort of like um, such an archetypal dark elf unit, this this frenzied screaming mob of poisoned uh, priestesses of Cain, um, but whenever you played them, they felt like that as well because they had the frenzy rule, because they could sort of be baited into charging targets, because they could just mm. annihilate anything that wasn't in full plate armor. They look and they play perfectly together. It's, it's a great combination. It's, it's a great combination of just rules and background fluff working really well. Um, and I had endless fun seeing exactly how many were going to make it over to your lines because obviously <laughs> you were always targeting them, as as rightly so. Um, and obviously, the lack of armor was often a bit of an issue. Yeah, well, before the days of arcane bodkins and. Matt Ward getting his hands on the on the Wood Elf book. It's impossible to shoot through um, Cold One Nights and things like that. So Witch Elves were the obvious target. And you're right, Jeremy. You know the rules did reflect the models. Um, they don't have a lot of armor on. Um, yeah. But yeah, in comp and also yeah, as you said, you know, um, Wood Elves are always famous for being lightly armored. There wasn't anything in the game. That I don't even think the Lords could carry heavy armor. Mm. Um, in, in later editions, they certainly couldn't. So if they were going to get into any, you know, what are they going to do to, you know, Glade Guard? They're just going to, like, mince them up, basically, aren't they? You know, they, it would be horrific. So, yeah, they're always the thing I targeted first. Firstly, because of their save, but secondly, out of fear. I think mean, in the mm -hmm. lore, they do all these these blood sacrifices and things like that. And there's stories of them like ripping out still beating hearts of their, of their victims and throwing them into the fires. And then it says, but that's nothing compared to what they do in combat. That's where the real rituals take place. And yeah, like we said, that was reflected in the rules every time. Like I um and you could do some great combinations. Obviously the combination of poison was mm. with when you're rolling so many dice and you know, I used to arrange them like um certainly in eighth edition, you know, seven wide because then you could get, you know, three, four attacks each. So it was 
usually 30 plus attacks so that was a that was a hoot um, um and then if you could then give things like um the flaming banner so they had flaming poison attacks then you could do things like charge a um help it abomination and sort of generally wipe it out on contact which was always quite nice to do they're the kind of trope that i always really liked to be honest i think them when i um when I was, did an episode about Wood Elves, I was talking quite a lot about war dancers, so kind of a similar sort of thing. Not yeah. quite as ferocious um, and not quite as deadly as Witch Elves, um, but a similar sort of thing. But something that the High Elves actually lacked, I think. I don't think there was an equivalent in the High Elf army. No, the High Elves, I guess, had, you know, we had the, um, uh, the Swordmasters um, and uh, the White Lions. So you had two really strong, like... Um, tin can openers you know would have it with a great weapon attacks but probably not a good unit to t wipe out like low armor safe troops in the same way that witch house were i suppose they just go back to to your old favorite the bolt thrower can't go wrong with a bolt thrower why did i not pick that <laughs> um i guess there's only other thing i want to say about witch house is i think there should probably be an acknowledgement of the sexualization and the cliche of we're doing we're doing fantasy we're going to have a woman in a bikini with two swords mm. and i do i do acknowledge that is slightly problematic but i still have a soft spot for them but i'm gonna i, I acknowledge that they are potentially problematic but there we go but let's move on from that <laughs> okay so what's my choice what did i pick oh executioners was the unit that i picked so they are some of the deadliest fighters you know in in the in the whole of the old world really um they they all worship cain and they all work in the shrines i think of cain and they wear this sort of ceremonial sort of garb that is just like really looks really intimidating and compared to the witch elves which are just all ferocity and hatred i think the executioners were all professionalism and you know they tried to do everything with one clean flawless strike and they had a decapitating blow because they did actually work as executioners in the temple as well they're like 50 percent executioners and 50 percent soldiers yeah the um yeah they they reflect um if witch owls are the frenzy and hatred then executioners are that sort of like cold calculation um and i i i, I there's that feeling of like it came more more across in the fluff maybe of like intimidation of dread when an enemy like saw their arm and saw their blades readied mm. and we can't talk about them without talking about the the faq that came their way oh yes so i remember very much um um so just the background for this is that um dark owls and sixth edition were to put it mildly not very good um and despite having fantastic heavily armored models that was not reflecting the rules was it no i mean if you i'll put a picture up of an execution so you can see what they look like and the rules said that they had light armor and of, of course i always thought that that was perfectly fine <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that perfectly enviable in fact but yeah no. it was um frustrating but there was an faq that came their way and they were given the rules that they that they deserved afterwards yeah so I'd like to see them just as a counterbalance to their to the to the witch elves, and I always like that professional, like just absolute stone coldness about them. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things that I slightly regretted about Eighth Edition is the fact that I think the Sixth Edition models were so incredible, and I don't think the newer plastic ones quite 
replicated and carried across that um, that load just because they were trying to make them make a model that was also uh, could be turned into blackguard as well and i think mm. in that respect perhaps they're not quite the, uh, the new ones aren't quite as nice as the older ones mind you they also don't have to spend ages trying to pin the blades on so you know you've got to win there <laughs> all right what's your pick next jeremy uh so i have to go with a classic and it's the cold one nights um so yeah like, like we talked about them earlier you have elves riding on velociraptors i mean it's such a cool image um it's it's really visually striking on a battlefield and and really unique um you want to talk about you gave one the cliche of um which elf then something which is very much like games that came up with and owned um really powerful on the charge um really strong attacks um really cool law of these elven nobility so these colder knights were meant to be the aristocracy of, of the dark elves um and they've gone so far they've given their lives to this sort of pursuit to the fact that they were these monsters which are actually poisonous to them and in the law the slime that a cold one gives off um gradually removes their sense so they get less and less so they can't feel pain they can't feel pleasure so their nerves are slowly being destroyed by these beasts that they're riding on but of course they don't care because it lends them such power when they sort of charge into an enemy battle line um, if, if they don't fail their stupidity yeah and we, we can't we can't not talk about the stupidity issue which although i like randomness and chaoticness it did annoy me just that you'd have these like like we said these elite aristocrats and they were just like looking at their stupid beasts drooling on the ground and going why now <laughs> and it always was the most crucial moment i think they do have to bring a part of that into the game though like yeah i think when goblins used to have sort of infighting and squabbles amidst their ranks and things like that i just think that is really characterful it I, is, th yeah. I think you've got a point with the cold one nights though uh, to be fair to you but also, I mean, if you're going to cheat and bring dinosaurs onto the table when your opponents have got horses, you need to have something, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've um, got something a bit controversial to say oh, about them, and I think you're going to disagree with me, and I think everybody who watches this will disagree with me. But I actually didn't mind the old dino cow ones. Oh, that is controversial. Yeah. In the, in the day when you had them and everyone used to complain about them and they, they weren't how the aesthetic people wanted, I used to think, hey, I don't mind them. I always think that um, games, the knights that rode the dino cows were great. And, and, and I think maybe possibly better than the, the newer ones that replaced it. So I think the ideal would be for me, the, the, uh, the more Velociraptor style, but with the older 6th edition knights riding on top of them. Um, which, as I'm starting to repaint my Dark Owls, I might, might give that a go and see how that looks. And I always just remember how incredibly devastating they were to anything they went up against. So, Jeremy, I remember you would always run them three ranks, and there'd be a hero in the front that had the, the power fist weapon that you got from the Albion campaign. Oh, yeah, the, the, the 40k, definitely not 40k magic items that sort of magic their way into the old world, yeah. So three ranks, and then each one would have unit strength two, so 30. The most I'd ever take in a unit would be like 25 anyway. So they'd mm. already outnumbered me before they obliterated me. And then they'd get the long charge, go in, wipe me out, and then straight away, no matter what unit size I took, I'd be outnumbered by a fear-causing enemy that beat me in the first round of combat. So I'd be fleeing, and you'd be rolling three dice to my two, inevitably catching whatever fled, um, if it could even rally. 
and uh, <laughs> just wiping me out straight away. And I can remember game after game after game, I'd look at them and I just think, I know what's coming. <laughs> I know what's coming. You know, they got the, the moves. So we had to pick their charge. And, you know, even if they rolled stupidity for their charge, it wouldn't matter because the game is going to be played across across six turns. Mm. Um, so you're gonna get gonna get me eventually. <laughs> no escaping. I always used to hope that I would get stupidity on turn one because statistically you would likely only get it once per round. So if you get it out done, I know this is not how maths works, but I used to think, well, if it happens turn one, I might be okay for the rest of the game. It's funny, I, I've kind of um forgotten slightly about that, and now I just feel really bad hearing about how beardy I was being. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, you know, we were just talking about you know um Waywatchers into witch elves and things. Everything had oh, yeah. match up, didn't it? I mean, it was absolutely. It was a bit of a game of rock paper scissors in a way, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I was trying to. And I think if we're talking about like knights charging, then I think we should mention the Hydra banner, which um, back in sixth edition I think gave each model an extra attack. So instead of just having um, colder knights with one attack on the charge, they had two attacks on the charge, as did the mounts, and it was just. <laughs> insane you could charge you know a unit you know 40 man unit of skeletons and just watch the whole thing disintegrate from just from the overkills that with it. it was a good times it was glorious <laughs> all right so my last pick is the assassin um just because well there's a couple reasons actually i think the the model of the assassin that that they made towards the end, the plastic model carries so much motion, and I really like the look of him. I really, and also I really like the play style. I like it. Just dark elves are just sneaky. I mean, they kill. They an assassin killed a phoenix king not too long before this game is going to be set, and I just love the idea of them and that just bursting out of a unit. You don't know what unit they're going to be in with poisoned or magical attacks and things like that, and just just going crazy and just wreaking havoc. Um, I think they're just a great idea. And actually, in my Cities of Sigmar army, there is a, a sort of sub-faction called Shadow Blades, which mm. harks back to, to the hero. And he takes he enables you to take Shadow Warriors as your core unit. Um, and I always take an assassin because I just think <laughs> I just think they're they're great fun. Yeah, I I just I just want to echo everything you said. Assassins were just so characterful. The the rules were so fluffy for them. Um, the idea that you could just like play this game of where the assassins going to be in to be in this game, you know, what unit could it be in, was always great fun. Um, yeah, and they were just they were again they were one of the models. I think which made me think yes, that's great. A hidden character you could pop out at any points, and that's what yeah, I thought. Yes, I will um I will collect these. Um, it's a shame that they were never quite as good as they um as you hoped they would be. They usually wouldn't be able to kill a character because they weren't weren't quite um quite have the strength to get through their armor ward, but I didn't care. I still absolutely loved them. I think there was there was a cap on their magic items as well. Is mm. it like twenty five points or something? Yeah, something like that, yeah. And they could never quite get those high level items that you really wanted them mm. to have. Um but maybe, you know, they've got a chance now to write that wrong. Exactly. That's what if you're talking about what I'd like to see, I think something like that would be great. Yeah, I think especially a low level character, if you had something like a sorceress or something like that, they definitely better chew through one of those, I think, even in the old game. But yeah. If you're going up against you know, a two plus armor safe character or something, then yeah, they didn't have, have much of a chance. But they did have poisons, um, which that, that only helped you get through to wound though, didn't it? It didn't actually yeah. help you get through your armor, which is always a weird thing that your armor state would stick around against the poison. But 
maybe that's another change that they could make. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the curse of being an elf player, isn't it? Really, that you never you didn't have a huge amount of units with huge uh, toughness, uh, sorry, strength to get to get through the armor. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think that takes us to the end of our picks. So I've asked you, Jeremy, to pick one magic item from any edition that you would like to see carried over. So this was quite a quite an easy one for me. I think it's got to be the sacrificial dagger. The um, it's such a cool fluffy thing that sort of really sort of like sort of catches the dark health background you have this dagger which uh a sorceress would use to plunge into uh the bodies of anyone nearby um and then drain drain their blood and then use that to amplify and um help her conjure more dark magic spells um it became a bit of a sort of a cliche that you'd see um a sorceress um, in a unit of um, spearmen acting as a basically a giant battery for her. She would just sort of mow <laughs> them all down, and then like use these to like get more and more power dice to cast more and more spells. Um, but I always thought like the blood magic, the fact that the dark elves were doing packs with demons, and 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 that all this magic, which was incredibly destructive, and because it was coming for such a terrible cost. And so I liked that mechanic of like, of like mm. death, you'd, you'd, you'd make a sacrifice and hope that you would gain even more from like launching, I don't know, Anissa Pals, Black Coral, or Chillwind, or whatever it's going to be on the enemy. I did always think when I saw that um, item being used, like, why are they using it on their own men? Because in all the lore, they had so many slaves and then mm. sometimes they would let the slaves just say like, right, you're free now. And they'd run out into the battlefield just to get mowed down or just to get into the get in the way and things like that. And I did wonder if they'd ever create a unit of slaves for them. But obviously they were never, they were never made. I think if we're talking about like um, what might, what might they do for dark elves in the future i, I think there's a question about where, whether there is a slave unit they've got like captured humans and they just yeah shove them out as cannon fodder which would be quite cool i don't know maybe i think though also maybe there is a point where a slave wouldn't really give themselves willingly but a soldier mm. might yeah absolutely and thankfully dark elves being were cheap enough that you could justify in terms of points you say that, I mean, you're still talking about like a millennia old elf who trained <laughs> his whole life. <laughs> you know. and, then, yeah, yeah. and what did you do with your life? Well, I gave a cast a plus one to their casting <laughs> role. And then they miscast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so is there anything out of left field that you would like to see made for Dark Elves in this edition? I guess we've already mentioned slaves potentially. I mean, slaves is an interesting one. I don't, I don't know honestly how I feel about the slaves because um, it feels like you're heading perhaps more into sort of Skaven style of play, and that would, I guess, would be my slight caveat around it. But I think it's an interesting one to play around with. Um, I think there's probably some things to be explored, maybe around like um, the Beastmasters, um, mm. the fact that they are um, taught, uh, in Eighth Edition. Obviously, you had the Beastmaster chariot, which was like could fire like a grappling net at a creature, and then pulled them out of the battle line as it tried to sort of drag them away so i wonder whether there's something interesting that could be done for the dark owls around here yeah, that's sort of like hunting for prey um the other thing that i kind of quite like to see because i always really liked the the raidings theme of you know the black arcs arrive you know the the, the um the, the, the corsairs and dark riders you know swarm off like hunting for like villages to like uh, you know plunder and set light to and see if they could catch so i wonder whether I would call it some sort of like ambushing rule, kind of a bit like you know how the beast men would like start the game like 
coming onto the table at weird different sides. But I think maybe if that's like a, a special scenario the Dark Elves can play where they like launch an attack on a human village, but something that maybe sort of captures that sort of like that raidy style would be quite cool. So in your Beastmaster idea, would you like to see like different beasts that they could bring that potentially they captured in previous battles and things like that? I wonder if it's either that or if it's some way of like, uh, if they're like going up against, I don't know, like um, a big monster, whether they can sort of like quell it with their mind. Because in theory, like the Beastmaster was meant to have such like power and dominance in their like their eyes and their presence that like beasts would just like carry out of fear for them. Mm. So maybe that's like, I don't know, like the, be the, the creature like can't attack them or loses its weapon skill or something like that. Um, I just think that'd be, it's not like it wouldn't be like a game changer, but it'd be quite fluffy and quite interesting to see. Uh, my uh, my wild card was also going to be black art corsairs. See something more more with that, more to do with the fleet master and and things yeah. like that. Maybe even I don't I don't know. They they sort of had their like you, you already talked about the net, but maybe like a whaling harpoon and things like that that they could they could bring on somehow. Um, I don't want to get too much into the the kind of the wackiness because I know that empire had that kind of land boat mm. with wheels and things, and I don't mm. think dark elves. That, that kind of aesthetic suits the Dark Elves. But I'd just like to see more done with them. I mean, I'm not going to say that I want a Black Ark model. Because... <laughs> I mean, that's literally a city, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, something more with them, I think, would be great. Because just who doesn't want who doesn't want Dark Elf pirates? Who doesn't want more of yeah. that? And also, I've just read a, um, a book, um, an Age of Sigmar novel, that's got a... Um, a black art fleet, fleet master is really prominent in it and they they hunt this thing called a gyre shark that's got all like mm. spines on it and they've got all their different poisons to try and get in they're spearing it with harpoons and firing off different things and like it basically is so big that if they if their harpoons have got like um cables on them or anything it's just going to pull the ship under the water <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like ginormous so things like that i think yeah. i'd like to see more of stuff stuff like that yeah and it's kind of thing i know that obviously um I can't remember the call now, the Deep King, Deep King in Age of Sigmar, the other sort of CLs, um, but they kind of like played around with that theme and it is an interesting theme and there's more stuff they could do with that for fantasy battles as well. I'm sorry, the old world as well. Yeah, so I think that's that really. Just, yeah, more poisons, more different kinds of poisons. But did they have different kinds of poisons before you could take? Yeah, they were about like, um, maybe about three, between three and six. I mean, mm. like, like, um, Generally, there were some old favorites that you used to use, like Manbane, which always gave you like your strength one higher than the target's toughness. So that was like a classic that used to be used like in sixth and seventh edition. And there was like a basic poison and like a killing blow style poison. But yeah, stuff like that would be fun. And I think you know they, the Dark Elves all come from these different cities, don't they? And the, um, where like there's a city for the Witch Hours and a city for the Executioners. So sort of seeing where you know go where we can sort of like I don't know personalize an army from garond or or um or uh, nagarond or whatever it's going to be would be cool mm. all right well thank you very much jeremy for for joining us today um i'd you like to have pleasure. you back to do something on dark elf lore but i think we've got a bit of swatting up to do to jog our memories from 20 years years ago lore <laughs> and things like that it's been a little while yeah absolutely <laughs> So, and also we're planning on having a game in the not too distant future where we're going to play High Elves versus Dark Elves. So that would be great to, great to do. Just great to catch up, really. Yeah, absolute bloodbath, probably. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, thank you for having me. Um, I will uh, I'll hopefully catch up with you soon.